When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we talk about the legal and business issues behind the glitz and glam of Hollywood and the entertainment industry generally. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, veteran entertainment lawyer and former Marvel attorney. And I'm your co-host, Mesh Lakani, pop culture enthusiast, founder of Lola Media. Don't know much about the legal world, but again, this is what we're here to find out about in our episode four, which I'm excited to bring with Paul today. And Paul, today's episode, we're going to talk about the unionization issues that are happening in Hollywood right now, specifically around animators, but it actually gets deeper within multiple industries within entertainment. But to kick things off, let's do a quick follow-up on our last issue we were talking about some of the things that are happening between Russia and Ukraine that it comes down to when it comes down to production and entertainment. And it seems that more and more private businesses and entertainment are showing their, I guess, their support with Ukraine or against Russia by stopping production and stopping streaming in certain areas. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, as we were discussing last week, it does seem like the world is not going to let this thing turn into World War III. It's not really a militaristic intervention scenario. We're talking about sanctions and governments are sort of using their um, economic levers and companies are starting to do the same. So last week we talked about UEFA and now it's just continuing and sort of exponentially increasing with Apple saying they're going to stop all sales of devices and software. Netflix is pausing all projects. Disney's pausing all projects. Visa and MasterCard are no longer supporting transactions. So when you think about it, it's really going to be sort of like a crypto-based economy until this thing ends one way or another. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just going to continue this way. It seems that you know multiple industries, private, you know, depending on the area that they focus on, in this case, entertainment, are just continuing to do what they can do. And we'll follow it. And if there's any major updates, we'll cover it in future episodes. But let's turn to a lighter note. And before we get into the whole union issues in Hollywood right now, I want to talk about one of the freaking coolest movies I've seen in a long time, The Batman, which has got everyone raving. Paul, have you had a chance to watch this movie yet? I have not had a chance to see Batman uh, or The Batman. I would love to see it. I'm a big fan of the franchise. I'm interested to see what Matt Reeves does with it. I love Dawn and Planet of the Apes. So, uh, And obviously Robert Pattinson is incredibly talented and has had a great career. So I think it's got a lot of potential. Everything I'm reading about it says that it's awesome. I know you saw it. And certainly good news for box office fans because I think it made a, a boatload of money this weekend. Yeah, I mean, look, man, 
I'm one of those fans who goes and watches movies, not only on like Friday opening night, I try to see it earlier or see it early in the morning. I go with a friend of mine who's a super fan too. I had actually gotten on my Fandango app, let me know that I could buy preview tickets on a Tuesday at 7 p.m. So we went to the AMC in Kipps Bay, uh, IMAX, 7 p.m. on a Tuesday before it opened uh, over the weekend. And wow, yes, three hours long. This is There are going to be no spoilers here. I will say this. I'm a Michael Keaton Batman guy, but holy shit. Robert Pattinson absolutely killed it. I put this in my top. I mean, I would say this might be the best Batman movie I've ever seen, but just because I'm really? loyal to Michael Keaton and Tim Burton, I would say it's maybe the second or third best Batman movie I've ever seen. I'm very excited as Pattinson for Batman. I think he makes an amazing Batman. And, and to your point, it did. It, it did really well. It's the second highest grossing post-pandemic movie. Take that for whatever you will, Spider-Man being the number one. But obviously, it seems that this has a lot more legs to reach different audiences. It's darker. It's gritty. It potentially reaches people who are just generally film buffs and not necessarily Marvel or any other comic book universe fans. It's a fucking amazing movie. Everyone was amazing in this movie. I'm going again to watch it with another buddy. You know, I'll put myself through three hours through it again, but fantastic, man. I can't wait for you to watch it. Yeah, I'd love to see it. You know, I'm I'm traveling. I'm flying back to New York, so maybe when I get in, uh, you know, this week will be slammed, but maybe next weekend will be a good time for uh, our next show, but... I'm surprised that you think it's better than the Christian Bale Batmans. I love the Christian Bale Batmans. I love the Nolan Batmans. I wasn't, you know, I thought Batman Begins was okay. The Dark Knight was great. I'm one of those randos who likes the Dark Knight Rises. I thought I that love Tom the Dark Hardy, Knight Rises. I thought I, Bane was amazing. He was amazing. I think he stole the show. Um, but again, you know, going into this movie, I was I heard that he was going to be amazing in it. But the movie, like the film itself, the script itself. It was so, so good. I love the darkness in it. Like I was listening to a podcast where they compared it to um, Seven, and it felt like we were watching a, a dark movie like that. So big fan. I, I think it actually would be fun for us to um, eventually do a whole DC Batman IP universe where we kind of talk about all these different Batmans that exist and crossing amongst universes and, and how that works from an IP standpoint, because I think that would be a hell of an episode, and I would personally have a lot of fun with that. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, Batman, let's be clear, it, Batman deserves its own episode or, or several episodes. I mean, the fact that it's crushing it is great. The fact that it's not going to be you know, unlike all the Warner movies in 2021, which were day and date in HBO Max and theaters, it's not going to be on HBO Max for a while, right? We don't know when it will be on HBO Max. So if you want to see it, you have to be in theaters. And what a what a great sort of result for them, right? Because if this movie didn't hit, they were sort of investing so much. And if this was, let's say, like not a great movie or even just mediocre and people didn't want to see it in theaters, it would it would give the streaming crowd sort of a lot more ammunition to say, oh, well, theatrical's dead. So great job to them. Congratulations. I'm sure they're thrilled. I'm sure it means the box office lives on. I mean, this is a movie you go watch in theaters, and I it was packed where I went. It's still hard to get a ticket in New York right now. You have to go like late night to get a ticket and get a seat for this movie, which again, it goes to show if you make movies for a cinematic experience where you go in place, yeah, I think that there's still a lot of room for box office potential. And hopefully in this post-pandemic, guys, we're still in a pandemic, but like not as 
crazy as it was, people can get their production schedules back and, and hopefully put more money into some of these films that can be specifically outside the comic book universe where we go for the experience. Um, and I'm really excited about that personally. I think it's great. And Batman was one of those movies that production issues because of COVID, it was delayed and delayed and then boom, nailed it. Like I think it was, uh, they're, they're saying that I think around $130 million opening box office, which is great. Domestic, that's great. right? That's, that's the U.S. for the weekend? That is just the U.S. So obviously I don't, have the numbers in, in terms of global yet and uh, i think it was another 120 that was another I think i read that this morning it was another 120 opening weekend internationally which is great which is great and i, I mean to your point we can certainly delve into this on another episode I, I think you're right there are certain movies the marvel movies the major motion picture franchises batman fast and furious where people are going to be going to theaters and watching them and i guess We'll see how it shakes out. Do, do the more sort of new movies or movies that don't have established fan bases or movies that don't require sort of appointment viewing or special effects, are they going to be sort of relegated to streaming only or streaming primarily? I mean, we don't know. That still has to sort of play out, but it's it's great that the movie is was a hit. Yeah, and I'll say this. I, I try to watch as many movies as possible in the theater. I recently went to go see Murder on the Nile or whatever it was called, the sequel what was it? Murder on the Midnight Express or whatever that train murder Orient mystery Express. movie was. Orient Express, excuse me. And uh, I'll say this. It was garbage. It was absolutely garbage. It was one of those movies where I was sitting there. I'm like, Ugh, do I want to walk out at, again? Like the, the second movie I've walked out in in the last like few months. And I think it just goes down to good movies are good movies. And it's all about the experience that people have. But hopefully, you know, this continues to to work and we get more movies like this that are just fun for the box office and great for everyone that's involved besides the streaming platforms. But, um, it is, you know, it, I think I was just going to jump in because you mentioned that there was a production shutdown. I think someone, maybe it was Robert Pattinson himself had COVID on set and they had to pause things for a couple weeks. Right. Uh, which is actually, you know, ironic because maybe that's sort of what pushed this movie into a 2022 release with the pandemic sort of being over. Cause no one really know, I mean, I don't know if it's over, but we certainly appear to be in a place where people are certainly being more comfortable about going out, going to theaters, socializing, traveling, all stuff that's really important to the economy. So hopefully, you know, we're, we're not in a temporary lull where hopefully we're back to closer to normal. Absolutely, I totally agree. So speaking of production issues, let's actually get into our main topic this week, which is some of the union issues that are happening in Hollywood right now against the production companies. And we'll start off with Netflix. So the popular Netflix show was halted in the middle of production. It was called Nailed It Halloween, which it's in its seventh season right now. And Netflix canceled it because crew members decided to walk off the set mid-season in hopes of securing a union contract with Magical Elves, the production company behind the show. They couldn't reach an agreement Agreement, so Netflix canceled the show. So I'd like to start off with first, Paul, what's the dynamic here? Like what's going on? We hear about these union issues in Hollywood all the time between actors, writers, and we'll get to animators, but what's the issue here and why do people feel the need to, you know, what are these unions trying to do? Are they being mistreated? Why is production being shut down? Give us a little bit of a picture of what's happening in here and how all this stuff works. I think you have to look at this as, as a labor law issue. And generally speaking, labor is 
subject to certain minimum standards and requirements, like minimum wage and benefits if you work sort of over a certain minimum amount of hours uh, and you're considered full-time, then you have to have benefits. And it's it's basically a free market subject to compliance with those minimum requirements. So employers can treat employees as sort of replaceable as long as they're doing the minimum that is required. And that's the foundation of labor law here. And when you have unions, they typically form when there's usually a highly skilled or unique skill set that the laborers have, right? So in some cases, it's actors. In the case of SAG and others, it's directors, DGA or writers or athletes like the NFL is a players union, the MLB as a players union. So unions form to give workers the ability to sort of collectively bargain and have better negotiating leverage with their employers than they would otherwise have because you basically have none other than the free market if you're a standard laborer. And so in this case, Nailed It was a competitive baking show. Not clear that there was a ton of writing going on. Uh, It's reality TV, so there aren't going to be or recognizable actors in it. So Netflix was probably comfortable that this was a non-union production, and it had been for six seasons. And under a non-union production, Netflix has a lot of flexibility to sort of manage the budget the way they see fit, to treat people who appear in talent a certain way and crew a certain way, because there's no minimums that they have to, other than you know labor law, there's no guild-required minimums that they have to comply with. And that's a lot simpler for them and more cost-effective for them. So halfway through the seventh season, when the crew members wanted to join IATSE, which we'll also talk about in a bit, which through their production company, Magical Elves, Netflix apparently wasn't wasn't hearing it. They said, you know, fine, that's, you're right to try to form a union, but we don't have to keep making this show. And I guess the show didn't mean enough to Netflix for them to want to negotiate an agreement with the, with the workers. It's pretty clear cut that Netflix is able to, if they don't want to make the show, they don't have to make the show, right? And right. They're not a, it's not a union production currently, so there's no union agreement for them to comply with, so they didn't have to proceed. And in this case, I'm assuming that Netflix looks at it like we look at it as costs. Like these are production costs. You guys are asking for X. Like we can't really do that right now. You know, so when we look at the opportunity cost of just canceling the show versus negotiating with you, et cetera, that seems to be one aspect of it. But the second thing is like who's representing these people now when it comes to negotiating with Netflix? Like I'm assuming it's lawyers versus lawyers in this case. Yeah. I mean, there's always a negotiation, but there's no. So here's maybe that I didn't make it clear. So if you are an actor, right, and you want to be considered sort of at the top of your craft, you would have to be in SAG. If you want to make audiovisual content, film, TV, streaming shows, video games, animation that uses actors that are at the top of the market, then you have to have SAG actors, right? That's basically what that means. And what SAG does is every couple of years, they negotiate agreements with all the producers and say, if the project has X budget, the people making it need to be paid Y, right? As a minimum, this is the minimum per show or per day or per episode. And then they need uh, pension and healthcare and benefits and things like that, which otherwise wouldn't be required because these are all freelance employees. So there's always a negotiation, but 
without a union to negotiate sort of the structure within which the deal has to land, it's kind of freely negotiable, which gives the studio a lot of power. Right. And so in this case, there is not much leverage for the people who worked on the show and therefore Netflix cancels it. I mean, what would you do in this case if you were representing them or how would they go about it now? Do they have any leverage whatsoever? Is once Netflix cancels the show, it's off and they'll just leave it on the table? Do you think they would bring the show back uh, if the people who worked on it were like, okay, okay, you know, let's just agree to something and let's get this back? Or is it like, sorry, moving on? I think it's probably sorry, moving on. I mean, Considering it was mid-season, I assume the crew members had some sort of contract to p- complete the seventh season, and they're probably in violation of that by walking off, would be my guess. So if I'm Netflix, I'd say, okay, we have an agreement with you. We, we, we negotiated what your fee was for this season. If that's not good enough for you now, or if you want to change your tune, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't have to make the show we're not going to make the show anymore. So I don't I don't know exactly what the contract says, but I don't see how they have any leverage at this point, considering Netflix is not moving forward with the show. Well, what and what's the comparison now, I mean, in entertainment and Hollywood between actors, writers, producers? Obviously, you've mentioned SAG is for actors. Um, I, I believe WGA, the Writers Guild Association, is for writers. Everyone has their different unions that represent them and negotiate on their behalf. So laborers can form unions or join unions. So SAG, as we said, is actors. DGA is directors. WGA is writers. And SAG, also that also covers animation to the extent of voice actors, right? So voice actors are considered actors, and they're covered under SAG-AFTRA. But the IATSE, it's actually a collection of many, many unions, and they represent crew and Teamsters and sort of below-the-line talent. And that's the one that this Netflix reality TV show nailed at Halloween was trying to join. I see. Okay. That makes sense. And I mean, is there a chance that they would join them, but they would just join them and then deal with it with a later production maybe, and then the show is just dead? So the way it works, they may join. So Netflix has an agreement with IATSE, right? The question is, is this nailed it a covered project or not? So Netflix has decided on some level in order to make the content it wants to make in order to be competitive with Disney Plus and HBO Max and and all the other content sort of producers, it needs to have the best talent in its shows. But it doesn't need to necessarily have the best talent in all of its shows. So they're going to be calculating about this. So they may have very high budget shows with SAG actors and DGA directors and WGA writers. But that's not what Nailed It was. Right. So from their PL, Nailed It was a non-union project and they weren't going to make it a union project. If they greenlit something as a union project, they would have to honor the terms of that deal. But they would be going into that show and making the decision eyes wide open. Yeah, I mean, this brings up for me, like I think back to the writer's strike of 2008 when the Writers Guild Association went on strike for better pay. And I specifically remember this because it was a period of time where Nothing was really happening. Everything was on pause. And Conan O'Brien stepped up and was paying his writers out of pocket based on what I've read. But I actually remember the episodes that he would do was like a handheld camera or he had someone holding a camera and he was just improving everything because he didn't have any writers on staff. And I thought the episodes were actually amazing. He was doing like random shit, like going under the stage and seeing what he could find. And then he was like giving a lot of shit to NBC. He was just getting away with a lot. But 
his heart is in the right place where he represents. I mean, he was a writer himself being on the Simpsons um, and always represents his people really well. And then again, uses his platforms. And it seemed to have worked over time, not just Conan, but everyone involved where they were able to come to agreement and everything came back online. Right. So, so that's a slightly different scenario. So with unions, Writers Guild, Directors Guild, SAG, any, any union. So what they do is they negotiate a collectively bargained agreement. So the leaders of the union get in a room or get on a Zoom or exchange proposals with the leaders of the studios, right? In this case, it's the AMPTP, which represents all the major studios, basically 350 content producers. And they say for the next, let's call it two or three years, all the projects that we make, which use your talent, the union members, are going to have to comply with the following rules. And they'll negotiate sort of a rules of the road. No one has predictability into the distant future. So they don't negotiate more than three or four years out, but that's what they do. And they negotiate for, in theory, when they renew their deals, they negotiate for better protections for their members. So higher minimums, better healthcare provisions, better pension provisions, uh, stiffer penalties if you violate break periods or if you don't give people uh, you know, the required amount of rest or meals or you know wh whatever the actual details are, they're negotiated within the basic agreement. So if you're going to make a show under the basic agreement with a particular budget level, then you have to comply with the rules that you, in theory, agreed to, right? So it's all collectively bargained. And that's why rather than having you know an individual laborer try to go to the office of Netflix and get the best deal he can, he or she stands in solidarity with all the other people that do that same task and they negotiate collectively with all the producers of the content and they establish rules that apply for a certain amount of years. So when these deals come up for renewal, that's often when strikes happen or strikes are threatened because what they want to do is have the most leverage possible when they negotiate the next three years. Well, that brings up another point around union issues in Hollywood right now. In this case, relating to animators, Paul, I know that you're a Rick and Morty fan. Uh, that's a show big that you Rick watched. Big Rick and Morty fan, yes. Big. Tell, tell me about Rick and Morty, because I, I, I've watched a couple here and there. I know it's a crazy alcoholic mad scientist doing crazy stuff and on these multiple adventures. But give us a little bit of insight onto why one you love rick and morty and then we'll talk about what's actually happening with rick and morty and the other show the co-creator made solar opposites and their issues now in terms of representing animators in hollywood so yeah and let's take a step back so i'm a fan of animated content i have been for a long time love the simpsons love south park rick and morty continues in that vein i think it's a very intelligent show where as you said Rick is a sort of alcoholic, super genius, travels through various dimensions of space and time and realms, and he brings his grandson, Morty, along with him. And it's part of, there's so many different levels of comedy there, like the family dynamic. Morty's always sort of leaving. The dad gets no respect. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the interdimensional sort of sci-fi aspect of it. It's very intelligent and... I like Mad Max, the movie, right? So they'll do an episode of Rick and Morty will be sort of like in the Mad Max type right. of world in this dystopian world where in this in one episode, Morty had like a really strong arm and used that to win a bunch of like one-on-one -on -one battles. And 
And it's just really crazy. There's so many things happening in any given episode. A lot of people call it trippy or you know, borderline psychedelic, or it, it just expands your mind. And I think there's a lot of angles you can rewatch. It's very rewatchable. And Rick is super funny. I think the dad is the funniest character, but it's a great show. I mean, I've, I've just seen, I'm a fan of The Simpsons, fan of South Park. Like I said, I've only seen a couple episodes of Rick and Morty, but I have seen where they've crossed with The Simpsons and they've been on the intro part of The Simpsons, which I thought was pretty hilarious. But in this case right now, what's happening is that the production workers at Rick and Morty, which is owned by Adult Swim. Adult Swim is owned by Cartoon Network, which is owned by Warner Brothers, and Solar Opposites, which is made by the co-creator of Rick and Morty, originally made by Fox, but then bought by Hulu, filed a petition recently for union election with the National Labor Relations Board in a bid to join the Animation Guild. And I guess what's happening here is that they're saying they filed to unionize with TAG, which includes production manage, production managers, supervisors, design assistants, storyboard coordinators, and they seem to be filing this petition against Adult Swim and Fox, who are not willing to voluntarily recognize the entire units as proposed by the Animation Guild. So you can explain what's happening here. I guess it's kind of what you were saying similarly earlier, where they're trying to join the union to have them represent them. Yeah, exactly. So there's a local IATSE 839, which the Animation Guild is a member of. So there's certain minimum standards that apply uh, to any IATSE project that don't technically apply to Rick and Morty or Solar Opposites today. So the production crews for the shows basically said, hey, we want the benefit of the provisions that the Animation Guild has negotiated. And they went to Fox and, and Adult Swim, and Adult Swim and Fox most likely said, uh, Thanks, but no, we don't have to give them to you, and so we're not going to. And that's often what happens, right? Because companies, you know, the dynamic is they they want to be as profitable as possible. They want to return as much value to their shareholders as possible, which means their employees often get squeezed. And so in this case, Fox and Adult Swim said, sorry, we're not going to let you voluntarily join TAG. We're not going to sort of be okay with that. So now... They're taking it as a legal action to try to join the union and get rights that way. And so I don't think we know how it's going to play out, but it was the reason animated shows are sort of very cost effective is because the talent doesn't have a ton of leverage negotiating it, right? It's very rarely is it household names. And a lot of the functions in animation can be outsourced. So they can be produced in other countries, like animating, coloring, doing outlines, scoring, that stuff can all be done overseas. So it doesn't necessarily have to be done by U.S. workers. I think maybe the audience would prefer that, but it's not a requirement. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because from the audience standpoint, we can tell the difference. I mean, I think just like with anything, when you outsource stuff, yes, there's times where you're going to get really good work, but usually the whole purpose of outsourcing is to get a lower cost. And, some, and sometimes, and a lot of times, I mean, I've seen it in tech a lot when you're outsourcing certain work, you're not getting the same quality. Obviously, the costs in the U.S. are high. And I remember uh, it was the X-Men animated series from the 90s. In season five, the animation changed. And it looked like you got like the discount version of the X-Men. And it was because the production company had gotten rid of the original animators um, for whatever disagreement that they had. And they went overseas and they couldn't replicate what the American animators had done for X-Men. And you could people could see that there was a big difference to it. 
And yes, I mean, I, I'm wondering now how that plays out in a world where social media is there and we can openly like complain about this stuff versus like in the 90s. But when it comes to animation, you know, it seems that to your point, animators are just not as represented or don't have as much leverage as the actors and, and whatnot. I mean, what are the chances here um, that negotiation can go in the favor of the animators? Uh, I mean, it's it's tough to say. Ultimately, the fans are going to have to make their opinion known. For example, you know, we started the show talking about Robert Pattinson, right, in Batman or, you know, stars in movies uh, or Christopher Nolan directed the prior franchise or Matt Reeves. These are sort of names in the industry that carry a lot of weight and they're all union members. But do you know any sort of animation crew members? No. Or really any crew members for that matter. So it, it within the industry, maybe there are people who are well-known within the industry. I don't really know how, um, how much leverage they have. And I also don't know what the production schedule is as right, far as right. do they need to produce produce this content right away? I know HBO Max wants more, clearly needs more content, so they want another episode of Rick and Morty. I don't know about Solar Opposites. I guess they've done two seasons on Hulu. They're probably expecting a third. So there's an appetite for content. But the question is how well-known and how critical to the success of these shows are the crew members? Well, I, that brings up the point of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Disney Plus obviously going not only creating in real life shows or like with actors and, you know, everything from Hawkeye to the other ones, but they're also creating an animated series within that universe. We had what if, and now Disney plus is bringing back the X-Men series as a sequel, picking up where they left off in 1997 when the show ended the X-Men animated series, which is interesting because it goes to show that like the audience loves that, like, 90s X-Men, they love 90s Spider-Man animated series. They're bringing this back. It probably has to do with being a fan favorite, but for how the X-Men fit into the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I would assume here, a show like that could potentially have a lot more leverage given how they fit into this universe and how much the fans want the content and Disney Plus trying to build out that library where animated shows matter one because the costs are lower, but hopefully they get it right from the beginning and you know we get great animation and people are treated well. But we might see the same problems occur there as well. Yeah, we could. I mean, this is also another result of or another implication of Disney buying Fox, right? So they get the X-Men IP or the underlying characters that were owned by Marvel as comics, but licensed to Fox for film. So they have this whole sort of universe now, and they have the intellectual property. They have the right to make animated series based on these characters, and they have the right to use whoever they want to sort of make those characters. And if they want to use crew in you know Korea or some someplace outside the U.S., they're allowed to do that, right? So... Like you said, it remains to be seen. It is sounds like it's going to be a reboot, which is super cool, but we wouldn't have anything to really compare it to because it's been almost yeah, it's true. three decades since the you know, two and a half since the prior seasons. Yeah, that just reminds me again of how old we are um, and how excited I am to see that series come back. But I think, you know, to kind of come to the end of the whole you know, union issues. It's not just in Hollywood. It's not just in entertainment from a standpoint of movies, film, animation, or TV series. It also has to do with sports, which you mentioned earlier. And I know that the right now the MLB is in the middle of negotiations. Similar dynamics from what I understand where 
the players want higher pay given that salaries have been declining. But in this case, it's not a strike. It's a lockup, which is a bit different because the leverage is on the owner's side. Can you explain what's happening there? So, I mean, it is, it's not a strike. It is a lockout, but it's basically the same thing. I mean, it's a failure for the two sides to agree to a continued collective bargaining agreement. So the MLB has a collective bargaining agreement that expired on December 1st. Uh, of 2021. And since then, the owners locked out the players and they have been negotiating an extension or several more years of a collective bargaining agreement and no one has agreed yet. So typically, baseball season, spring training starts early February and then the season starts late March or April 1st. And that's normally what happens. And in this case, we're here at the beginning of March Spring training hasn't started. No one knows when the season will be commenced. And last week, the commissioner of baseball sort of drew a line in the sand and said, if we don't have an agreement by February 26th, we're going to have to postpone certain games or, or cancel certain regular season games or truncate the season. So where we are, it's been a week since that happened. There hasn't been no agreement. And so it seems like more games are going to be missed and the season's going to be shortened. And at the end of the day, it always comes down to a handful of issues. But you would think that both sides have so much interest in there being a full season right? where fans are not pissed off, you have full TV revenue, you have full ticket sales, all that, that they would have got it done by whatever deadline was imposed. And the fact that they didn't shows how dug in each side is. But it's also kind of interesting to see how these owners and players are sort of positioning the future of their sport, right? Because dollars continue to increase, um, but there's no guarantee that they will continue to increase indefinitely. And so the pie is bigger, but the players want bigger, a bigger percentage of that pie. They want a higher minimum sort of salary. They want higher salary caps and they want to be able to be free agents earlier. And these are all things that, you know, if it were me and you, maybe we could just, if you represented the players and I represented the owners, maybe we would just, hey, the day before the season, let's meet in the middle on everything. But that's not what happened here. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to, I mean, I think you said it well, the, the pie gets bigger, so everybody wants a bigger piece of the pie. And in all fairness, it's not a really agreed thing. It's more like, you're all making more money off of us. We're the ones who are playing our asses off and who the audience wants to come see. And so therefore we want a higher pay, which is totally valid. But again, with not only with sports, but all these different productions um, from the Netflix of the world to Hulu to the MLB, we're talking about like a major loss in revenues for all of them. If there's nothing airing, people lose money. And so at what point did negotiations really pick off. I mean, every everyone seems to be playing chicken or, again, leveraging what they can, but nobody wants this stuff to continue to go on because uh, when it comes to money, it's just a loss of revenue overall. Right. I mean, baseball hasn't had... They've had strikes throughout their history, but they haven't had a strike that missed games in almost 30 years, right? So that that's kind of unusual um, at, at the very least, and it seems potentially like... Uh, a sh it's a huge shame for fans and people who want to see baseball. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, to sum it up, it, it seems to be for the ones who, from the billionaires who own the teams to the production companies where one show might be like a percent or, you know, a very small number for them to lose money on, they can make those decisions. And at the end of the day, it's the the workers, the writers, the the players, the audience as well, all seem to suffer here. And that's always unfortunate. I mean, we, we could probably do a whole episode just on, 
sports, each sports individually and, and how all that works out. But I think, you know, for us, it's a good starting point to make people aware of what's happening here. And um, at the end of the day, it, it always comes down to uh, it comes down to costs and it comes down to ne negotiating and profits and who's being affected. But people at the end of the day deserving and wanting more pay. Um, so let's see what happens. Hopefully everything gets resolved and everyone keeps making content because no one really wins when these things get dragged out. No, not at all. And, and at the end of the day, we all want more content and we still seem to be searching for that next show or the next uh, episode or whatever sports event that we want to watch. So let's see what happens. That's our episode for this week, folks. Paul, as always, thanks for guiding us and explaining things to us. Make sure you watch the Batman movie. And I'm not just talking to the audience. I'm talking to you, Paul, because I actually want to talk about it and see where this goes so that we can do a full episode on Batman and Batman IP and how that works with crossing universes and et cetera. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And just a disclaimer, this is not legal advice. This is for entertainment and educational purposes only. And the views expressed are solely our own. This episode of Better Call Paul was produced and edited by Valentino Rivera, Marco Siler Gonzalez, with assistance from Justin Sanchez. Make sure that you're subscribed to us on your favorite podcast app, whether that's Spotify, Apple. Make sure you share this with your friends. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next week.